This is No Politics at the Dinner Table. I'm Tony Biancasino. And I'm Amit Prakash. Today we have two guests on, Kevin Pape of Working America and Linda Goldman or from Fight for a Better America. And we're going to learn all about how these two organizations are going to win the election for, for Democrats. Great. Thank you both so much for coming on today. We've got uh, Kevin Pape and Linda Goldman, um, and I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves a little bit and talk about uh, what they do. So, Kevin, do you want to start us off? Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for for having me today. Uh, my name is Kevin Pape. I'm the national political director for Working America. Um, we're a grassroots uh, organization that engages uh, voters at their doorstep or uh, in the vir- on their virtual doorsteps now all over the country. Um, and I've been with the organization for about 13 years. Great. Thank you. Um, Linda? I'm Linda Goldman, and I am on the advisory and planning board of Fight for a Better America. A uh, little harder to explain what we do, but we basically um, are a group of friends um, who have business and political backgrounds. There was a lot of frustration with the way things were being done in the 2016 election. And then after the wake of the 2016 election, it became apparent that we needed to start a new way of doing things uh, and and fight was born. Okay, so let's just start right there. What did you identify as a problem with the the run up to the 2016 election that you felt like you had to address? Okay, so um, as I mentioned, fight was the brainchild of John Newsom and Bill Kuhn. they are business business school graduates. Uh, they were both working on the Clinton campaign and were really disappointed with the field operations there. So they were volunteering, going to Pennsylvania on their own dime from New York on the weekends. Uh, they got there. It was late um, in the cycle. They didn't have volunteers organized. There was no training for the volunteers. There was no data or um, record keeping as to what had already been done, who had been approached. There wasn't really any kind of um, strategy in terms of targeting voters who were persuadable. Um, Instead, they were just blanketing information on everyone's doorstep with volunteers who weren't trained. And all they could do at the last minute was say, hey, vote Biden if anybody had a question. So, and they weren't local either, which was a big problem. So they weren't from the neighborhood, they didn't know what the problems were, and they didn't have relationships there. Okay, okay. Tony, you, you look like you were gonna jump in. No, I wasn't, I wasn't. Okay, okay, okay. So that's, I mean, that's like a traditional campaign, right? Is, is, is like a full-scale assault with as much paper, TV time, now uh, social media stuff, um, and somehow saturation is going to bring one um, uh, the triumph. So, Kevin, if you want to talk a little bit about your approach and how that might be different and how there might be sort of, there's sort of complementary uh, thing going on between the two organizations. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that our basic approach starts with we put the voter before the vote. Um, so we don't treat voters as a monolith, right? Um, the way that the media tends to cover elections, it's kind of like there's there's the base, right? You got to get the base fired up and turned out and you throw red meat at them, regardless of which side you're coming from. And then there's these mythical swing voters, right? Like suburban women or uh, you know, that's the what, big what one it, this year. Yeah. Yeah. What it, that's, that's the big one. It's been soccer moms before, whatever other terms that folks throw around and, you know, that the, they're sitting there weighing the pros and cons of candidates and waiting to hear and the right ad and the right message is, is going to move this whole block of voters. Um, we actually just ask them, you know, what, what is going on with you? If we had the resources to, we would do that with everyone who's going to vote, uh, but we can't do that. So we do it with a representative sample. We actually listen to what they're going through, and we allow that to uh, then determine, you know, okay, we treated them with a text and a call and whatever, and we saw some movement. And so that allows us to then kind of take that smaller scale learning, scale it up to the folks who 
however we can reach them, we know that they're most likely to move um, and kind of bring them over to a more progressive frame. And we just take the time leading up to election to actually build a relationship with them. So we don't start with, okay, this testing said you're movable, vote for Biden or vote for the Democratic Senate candidate. That's going to alienate them. They're going to go back into whatever they're comfortable with. So we actually say, boy, this pandemic is insane. Uh, what? How is this affecting your family? Uh, what have you been going through? And we build a relationship there. Oh, okay, you, someone lost a job. Here's how you apply for unemployment insurance. And then when we come to them this time of year to talk about politics, we're a trusted source of information for them. And they're going to be open to a different perspective on things that if we just came and tried to shove a political partisan agenda down their throat when we uh, first reached out to them. So I think, you know, um, I, I guess the last thing I'll add is we we ask a lot throughout the year, like, who's fighting for you? And the number one answer is overwhelmingly no one. <laughs> hmm. And so really, if you're a campaign like what Linda described, and you're trying to show them that you're fighting for them, the worst messenger for that is a politician, right. regardless of, of if you're a Democrat or Republican. So we find if we can build that relationship, we can become a trusted source of information. And then, you know, they're, they're more open to what we have to say about politics, which no one wants to talk about uh, to begin with. So. So would you would you both say because I'm, I'm, I'm always like, who are these undecided voters? Would you say that what you're actually up against is more people that are undecided if they're going to vote? Or is it they're actually undecided of who they're going to vote for? Because I, especially in this election, really? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I actually don't think it's undecided, right? I right. think it's persuadable. persuadable. Um, if, if you dig into what people believe, they are all over the place. There's very few people besides, again, base Republicans and base Democrats who have a very coherent set of policy uh, positions. You know, people support uh, building a wall, people support Medicare for all <laughs> in the same breath, right? And so it's really about like, how do you get to them and frame what's going on and connect the dots? Like people are so disoriented by what's going on all the time. Mm -hmm. And they, again, are inherently distrustful of what politicians are peddling. And so it's really about like, can you get to them, give them good information and change the way that they're viewing politics and the economy? And then you can actually change their minds. It's not really about, yeah, like there's hardly any undecided voters. Right. That's that's really a myth that the media pushes. It's really like, who's movable? Who's persuadable? Right. Who's open to seeing the world a different way? Um, and yeah, sometimes that might lead to apathy, right? If they're like, yeah, these folks are all crooks. I don't support any of them. So yeah, that, that might be the difference mm -hmm. between, you know, okay, this seems reasonable. I'm going to support that. I, maybe I will vote this year. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but no, yeah, I do think the undecided voter is is kind of a myth. Right. Well, and I think fights strategy fight actually is sort of a venture philanthropy approach. We evaluate and vet and support local grassroots organizations, but we're kind of the top roots. So we're like the, the consultants who help them with mm -hmm. fundraising, with lawyers, with whatever they might need with media, with data. And I think what's what gets a little lost in thinking about the voters is, so fight strategy is the right place, the right people, and the right tactics. The right place means, for example, in 2016, we knew we had to take back the House. That was the only thing that was in play coming up in 2018. So you look, which districts are districts that went for a Democrat before, and then a Republican and can be flipped. So you, you evaluate that and pick those districts. Then you get the right people involved. And that involves people who are local, people who get out early, they don't wait for a candidate. So they're out a year and a half before an election. And they're not concerned if it's who, who the Democrat's gonna be. They're talking about issues. They're talking about what the person there isn't doing for them. And then the next thing is, it ha you know, that organization has to stay, but the right tactics. So think about the way Facebook works, for example. You, get, you have all this data, and you test it, and you throw it back at people, and you move them just an inch or a millimeter or whatever it may be at a time by giving them certain information, and it's almost unconscious. Now, they're doing it to sell you ads or to sell your data, 
we're trying to educate voters with information and on the issues and focus them back in on messages that work for them. So if Trump's talking about, you know, caravans and scary immigrants, we want to talk about what matters to you, healthcare? Let's refocus you on healthcare and then send you that message. So those tactics have to include data, they have to include targeted data to be efficient so that you're picking the right people. And Working America really does all of those things. Mm -hmm. So one thing that comes to mind right away is that you guys are up against a lot, um, notably the media, because the media, the way it works is it's always about the candidates, not about the voters, right? Their narrative is about, you know, here's this candidate, here's that candidate, and, and, and they're really sort of taking the narrative of the opponent and then teasing that out because it's dramatic and it's, you know, it's enticing and it's tawdry sometimes, whatever it may be. And then somehow the voters, um, that's what they're getting. And then somehow they're supposed to choose from what often looks like terrible choices, right, that are not representative or, or you know, they're morally flawed and whoever's, you know, whatever they happen to listen to. So how do you sort of cut through that noise? Because that seems like a huge hurdle. Yeah, I, I think I, I can jump in on, on that one. Um, yeah, I, you know, again, I think like, let's, let's put this in perspective, right? Like, how many folks actually watch cable news every night, right? Like Tucker, Tucker Carlson's the undisputed champ in Hannity, right? Like four and a half million a night, right? Hell of a lot more people are watching the baseball playoffs. They're watching a reality show. They're watching something else. So, you know, people kind of catch bits and pieces, right? Oh, Trump said something stupid or, um, you know, Biden flubbed a line or something like that. There's, there's a little bit that they catch, but really like, yeah, the, the noise is deafening. Like if you think about you're a, uh, a voter in a targeted congressional district in a targeted Senate state in a targeted presidential state, like somewhere in Arizona right now, or somewhere in North Carolina or Pennsylvania, you don't know what the hell to believe, right? You're, you're hearing three ads in between the commercial break. You're just trying to watch a reality show and they're all saying this person's corrupt or that person's corrupt. And so again, it's like, how do you actually interact with them like human beings? When we were on the doors, and we said, hey, we're here to talk about the election. Most people would be like, I'm so sick of talking about the election. Like, we are too. That's why we're coming to talk directly to you and listen, what are you thinking about when you're gonna vote this year? Or what is impacting your family the most? And we start by actually interacting with people like human beings, and then we can actually see like, oh, okay, they're concerned about their one trip to the ER away from declaring bankruptcy mm -hmm. or their mom's sick and lost their job and everyone's healthcare is tied to their jobs. So while they may, you know, they, they feel this economic anxiety and then they're getting pumped with all this fear on the news and everything, it's like, yeah, like Trump could be appealing to these folks, but so could like a better healthcare system or so could, you know, more investment in schools. And so, you know, it just, when I, when I get back to like the myth of the undecided voter, it's like, it just depends on when you catch them and mm. what you're talking to them about and, and how you frame it to them. And it does just kind of change their mind. So again, we find like by starting by asking questions and seeing where folks are at, you can cut through the noise because really it is just noise, right? Like no one really knows what to believe. They're so unmoored, um, you know, from their own, uh, no one's really speaking to their realities and what they're going through. Well, and, the, and we find the media kind of amplifies a lot of this and and they they blow it out all out of proportion i mean i think i think the facts are trump's a terrible president terrible person um i think biden is a flawed candidate that's a much better much more qualified uh person to be president so those are just those are just the two baselines um but even this summer when you would see obviously like there's a, a big big problems going on in michigan with these actual like terrorists with a kidnapping plan to take out the governor but it's not a lot of people, but if you watch the news, you would think these rallies with these morons and boats is like millions and millions of people. But, you know, I was talking to a friend at the Amit's last podcast about the Supreme Court, and he made a great point that if you really think about it, you know, the Republicans really make up a ton of states that are very low populated. The majority of people in this country, and we're talking, you know, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by almost three million more Votes. I mean, the majority of people are, which is probably what you're you're coming across, are are 
persuadable and I think normal uh, to an extent. I mean, I don't think the radical sides of everything. It's very buzzy. It's very newsworthy. Um, but, you know, I think more and more people are stopping watching the news because you do. You flick on the news and you just think, oh, my God, we're, we're going to have a civil war. And then it's like, I live in Louisiana and I don't feel that down here. Like, I don't. There's obviously racial tension. There, There's tension that I think has always been here. But it's just it's just flicking on the TV or social media where you begin to think we're this crazy divided place. And, and I think it's probably we're not as divided as people do do tend to um, exaggerate. And maybe I can use as an example there how the process works. Um, I don't know if you all remember Daralissa. Yeah. OK, so what fight California, right? Exactly. Yeah. And he held that congressional seat for 20 plus years mm -hmm. in 2016 when fight was looking right place okay where do we go our test case is going to be with this really aggressive kind of crazy republican who is literally the architect of benghazi we're going to get out early we're going to go i mean he tortured hillary clinton for years with that he would like a permanent commission on Benghazi, I believe. Pretty yeah. much. So we're going to get out early to the voters in that neighborhood. We're going to find a local organization to support, which Fight did. Fight mm. invested $50,000 total in seed money in a group there called Flip the 49th. It was about neighbors talking to neighbors about what's wrong before the Democrats picked a candidate. Just let, let's, what's wrong with this guy? Um, let's talk about the issues. What do you need? And it turned out that their early mobilization was so effective, mm. Issa dropped out of the race and fight helped structure that. So it's about being strategic mm -hmm. and picking where you can win and making sure you have the right organization, the right leadership, and you can get past that noise, but you have to organize early and effectively mm -hmm. and locally. Yeah, I think you're also seeing that in South Carolina. Who knows if Lindsey Graham will win, but he is definitely, he is admittedly um, frightened he's going to lose a seat. And that's progress. I mean, that's that guy's been sitting in that chair for a long time, and, and I wonder if it's the same thing where, you know, they're, they're targeting potential places where people can be persuaded because, you know, you look at a guy like Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham, who are kind of the two big loudmouths of the party, and then you dig a little deeper, and you're like, what are you doing for your st for the people that live in your state? I mean, we could battle you on CNN all day, but I, I always wonder if you if you get in and do the grassroots thing, can you just talk people into something different? And this it is, seems like is, it's starting to work. This has been Mitch McConnell's whole retort, right? He's like, I'm going to bring you the bridges, you know, that, that right. sort of thing, right? That that I, I'll, I'll, I'll deliver. I'm a true... Kentuckian or whatever um, but on these larger issues of like if I get sick what then happens if I lose my job is there going to be unemployment insurance for, and right. for how long and for how, how much of a percentage of what I made all, all, all of those things are, are, are sort of I don't know uh, reserved for later conversation um, the, the one thing that I I wonder, if, and and maybe we can talk about this. Is that have you identified, um, or or what have you identified as movable populations? Mm. Um, and and is is it is it a matter of geography to what extent? Because because that's the other big media narrative, right? Rural versus urban. Um, and I'm living in a in a rural community, and and I can say you know, and this is the state, this is the home of Bernie Sanders, um, and but. That said, my town um, overwhelmingly left, um, but you go outside and we are very close to the Canadian border and there are Confederate flags, mm -hmm. right? So, and this is all, you know, a state with like 500,000 people in the whole state. So it's really mixed up. So I'm, I'm really curious about this, that how, how is this identified and what have you identified this year? Yeah, I'll... Uh... Um, I, I guess I can I can start. So yeah, like like I said, we would our, our kind of model is always we we test small, right? And I won't um, I'm not a data scientist. We have awesome data scientists on our team, so I won't bore you with the uh, with the details of it. But you know, it all starts like small scale testing, right? And listening. Like we always start with a listening of like let's just get our finger on the pulse of what's going on. We were in um, in the 2017 
uh, gubernatorial race. So this was one of the first elections after um, Trump in Virginia. You know, they have odd year elections in Virginia. So we wanted to set up shop in like Trump country. Um, mm -hmm. So this was like the western part of Virginia, not like the D.C. suburbs and kind of the more populated parts of the state. So we worked in like 20 counties around there. So we started just by doing a deep listening canvas and we were kind of prepared to talk about jobs in the economy. But what we found is most folks were felt pretty secure with their jobs, but they were really nervous about health care. Um, and Virginia was one of the states that hadn't passed Medicaid expansion as mm -hmm. part of the ACA. So we just hammered that home. Uh, we talked about it. We got folks, we actually led with saying, hey, we're out here fighting to expand healthcare for those that can't afford it. Um, then we got into candidate persuasion after we kind of got agreement on that issue and we got folks to sign a digital petition, you know, at the end. And so like, you know, it's kind of like an offhanded thing that people do. But we found we were persuading folks on the governor's race. Um, but we, the more important thing is we had kind of built this army of folks that we had a relationship with so that when the, um, so the governor, the Democratic candidate won, um, but they still had a split legislature. And so when they went to pass Medicaid expansion and vote for it, we were able to kind of deploy communication into these districts where we had built up this, this relationship and rapport. And like a lot of Republicans crossed over and actually voted for it because they were hearing so much from their constituents. So like that just shows like in the heart of Trump country, you can get to these kind of, you know, these were mostly white working class, but there were some immigrant communities that were doing work there and just kind of a wide swath of of folks, it's, it was more diverse than I think we had anticipated. But, um, you know, again, you start with where they're at, you listen to what they're going through in their communities, and you can really move them. I think this year, um, you know, I won't give away all of the, the secret sauce of, of what we've learned. But there are, um, you know, it, it really is like, these, these kind of, um, again, we, we found that there are these on both ends, there's these heavily polarized, very politicized folks. But really wide swaths in the middle like i mean we're we're targeting just for example uh, uh we found this tactic we call it like boosting the news on facebook so instead of like just doing an ad that says vote for joe biden or or vote for mark kelly for senate or something like that again people shut that out they're they're they see those all the time they're not going to pay attention to them so you're kind of lighting your money on fire if that's what you're spending <laughs> your campaign dollars on uh we actually uh, share news articles that show the positions of the candidates on their on these issues. Um, and we do it from like a local newspaper or an independent source, not like the New York Times or Huffington Post or Breitbart or, or whatever. Um, and that moves voters at a at a pretty high level. Um, and it's really these folks that like, don't watch cable news and, and don't get their like, information from this kind of noise machine that we that we talked about earlier so um yeah that's you know in the swing state that's five six million people right that kind of fit that profile that that we can engage with a pretty simple tactic that that is incredibly potent so. okay. and on the rural versus urban uh, there's a past example which is actually where fight first met working america um back in 2016 when we were looking at where where do we go where do we invest uh, Central California here is rural, it's conservative, it's farmland. Working America got into the CA-10 area, um, which is in the middle of that, very rural. They mobilized a year and a half before the election. They organized tens of thousands of local volunteers. Um, they got their messaging out. They got voters who were conservative, moderate, to listen to the issues. And they ended up eking out a victory there where Republican had held it for, I think, the last three terms. And one of the important things is also that working America, people need to realize they're, they're knocking on doors in these areas and finding voters, potential voters, who other people aren't contacting. So their voter, their membership list, their contacts are not getting saturated like you know how you might get 10, 10 straight text messages about a candidate? Yeah. They're just getting text yep. messages from Working America. Mm. So it's actually somebody who's much more open to listening to that message, even if they're on the moderate to conservative side, because it's local, because it's neighbors knocking on doors. If that makes sense? Yeah. yeah. So so are you, are you, who pays you? <laughs> I mean, you know, how are you funded? 
Is it by candidates? Is it by organization? No, no. So we're completely independent um, from from the from either party. So we we operate. We're a membership based organization. We're the community affiliate of the AFL. So we work close AFL CIO. I'm sorry. So we work mm. closely with uh, with the labor movement and mm. and unions uh, both at the national and local level. But we also have a base of individual donors that um, like like Linda's been describing like. Fight is a group of just individuals, right? Got they it. came together. They're not the typical, you know, political funders. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what's really cool is like, it's kind of a perfect synergy of the work that we do. We we don't really engage kind of the typical political constituencies with, with our work. And um, I think it's great that we've connected with a group like Fight who cool. isn't really made up of kind of typical political funders. Mm-hmm. So we've done, Linda and I have done, you know, kind of these Zoom small donor fundraisers like, 20 of them, 30 of them. I don't, I've, I've lost. Which we'll be doing point. soon, right? We're going to yeah. do, we're, yes. we're, we're yeah. co-hosting. And yeah. we are grateful. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you do start to see, I think especially now, um, a lot with kind of like the democratic socialist parties, they are, I think the, you know, we had, a, we had Jabari, uh, uh, Brisbane on our, on our, on our, um, podcast a couple times and he was a grassroots guy who just walked the streets from the area and and you saw that with AOC and you're seeing if you go talk to people it's really it's not really like about running you know takedown ads if you just get out there man and and you can and you're relatable it's tough to beat that I mean it really is tough to beat that and social media is becoming very important and and an authentic social media I, I wonder if and it's weird to say but maybe the pandemic gives you an advantage because you actually have relationships made already that have Mm. been fashioned right and and everybody's thirsting for that now Mm -hmm. um and and so even though it may not be a doorstep it may be a virtual doorstep they kind of know in some way that this is a little bit more authentic than some mailer right um have you have you found that I a hundred percent. Yeah, I, I think obviously, you know, we are primarily known as a field organization for the first 16 years of our existence. And in March, that did not become viable. We had to pull our whole canvas staff off of the doors. And so we immediately pivoted to engaging people in actual like two way texting conversations. So again, we're heavily politicized people, we kind of roll our eyes when we're getting texts. But like Linda said, like, there's these folks that never get communicated with. And so we actually, again, kind of applied our principles, like, we did some small scale testing of who was actually practicing good social distancing behaviors. um, And we're able to kind of scale that up and found 3 million people all over the country that could use some reminders. So we just started by saying, hey, this is crazy. It's hard to know what to believe. Um, are you doing X, Y, and Z? Like, are you wearing a mask? Are you not doing large gatherings? Are you doing whatever? And we found that like just having a conversation changed people's behavior after the fact. So we went back and then surveyed like after we had uh, uh, talked to them and 300,000 people were wearing masks after they interacted with us. So that's where we started the relationship with a lot of these people was around public health and getting them information about how to apply for the expanded unemployment benefits. And then, you know, we asked them to hold their politicians accountable when they weren't doing any doing enough on the stimulus bills. And so there's like six million people in addition to like the three and a half million members we already had that we've been communicating with all year round since we got off the doors. And so like we've been persuading them these last few weeks around the presidential and Senate and all the way down the ballot. And we've already and because we've continued to go back and test like we've already netted 100,000 votes for Biden Mm. just from that because we built we took the time to build a relationship with them you know we would have loved to have gone to their door and solidified that relationship but we haven't been able to do that but they're at least interacting with another human being right like they're not just getting a mass text they're not just getting a mass email they're not just getting some annoying ad on social media um you know they've been texting with us for six or seven months now um uh and so you know it's it's incredibly powerful and like you actually see the interactions over text and what people are willing to share and their frustrations and their fears and how vulnerable they feel right now and um you know we we try to say that like yeah the election's important but the next step is even more important right? right so 
you know, who knows what the world's going to look like on November 4th, but we've got, again, 9 million people that we've been engaged that, like, we can get the message out if the results of the election are in doubt. Or, like, if, if it's a blowout and things look great, then, all right, here's step one to actually take care and protect workers in this country. Mm-hmm. Here's how we protect the environment. Here's how we do X, Y, and Z. So, um, you know, I think that's what's uh, that that's what's been so cool. And I think you're exactly right. Like, you know, it, it, it stinks that we're not on the doors, but it, it, it is a great opportunity because we do know how to build relationships with folks. But um, give Working America credit because even long before the pandemic, one of the ways fight picks partners is, okay, right place. This year, Trump had to go. That had to be job number one. And we had to start working on the Senate and getting that back if we were gonna have any chance to make real change. So when Fight went looking for a partner, it became clear there had to be a nationally positioned progressive organization that had some local apparatus on the ground. And the truth was, Working America's been there 20 years in most swing states, had had a lot of those relationships built and could continue to build on them. There are not many progressive organizations that have done that. It's, it's challenging, as you said, it's hard work, it's not glamorous, it's not a last minute ad, you can't leave when the election's over. It's not what campaigns or politicians typically do. Right. I mean, I have you, so since you have an affiliation with the AFL-CIO, um, what, what is the temperature reading you've gotten about people's views on unions? Right, because obviously the the sort of golden era of unions um, was mid twentieth century, right? And it's been in uh, dramatic decline for for since the seventies, at least. And the the language certainly on the right, which didn't always used to be this way, is a very dim view of unions, right? Um, and even and the Democratic Party used to self-style itself as the sort of working class party in, in some way, right? Um, always worrying about the red baiting that could come with that, but 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 trying to style themselves as the voice of the uh, of workers. Is that how, how how are people reacting to the idea of 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 unions? Because one of the things that you seem to be doing very well is sort of pointing out to people whatever their political leanings may be is that public goods can advance individual freedom. So that's a sort of false opposition, right, that, that people make in, in, in political speech. But in terms of unions, it's another a way to do that. How, how are they reacting to that? Yeah, well, and, and I think that's what we were really born out of, right, was um, we, we've been around since 2003. And obviously, everyone on this uh, podcast is aware of the downward trends of union membership since basically the 50s, right? Like, membership has been declining. And simultaneously, production and wages are, are verging off. So, um, uh, you know, I think that's one of the main explanations for why that's happened. And, you know, it's been a pretty concerted effort, obviously, on the right to to go after unions and the ability of workers to form a union um, through any number of ways. So don't need to rehash all of that. But I think to your point, you know, a, a lot of the listening that we do is people are very open to the idea of a union. They don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's very difficult for them to think like, okay, I work, you know, I, I, ha- I work for some tech company, like how do I, organ- or unions aren't for me, how do I organize my workplace? Or, um, you know, I'm just this like, powerless, uh, you know, clerk at a grocery store or something like that. So I think there's a there's just a gap of knowledge, like people like the idea of the parts of a union, right, like someone to help you when you when you have a problem with your boss or someone to to do X, Y and Z, but they don't really know where to start. So that that's definitely a role that we've played in the past and that we're definitely interested in continuing to do is kind of being this bridge between unorganized workers and an actually collectively bargained contract. Um, but I think by and large, like there is a hunger for that. Like again, people, the number one trend that we observe is just people are anxious. Like they, they, they may have kept their job through everything that's happened with the pandemic but they think they're next, right? Like they, they know three people that lost their job. Um, and so, you know, there's a certain amount of stability that comes with the union contract and they like the idea of it, but they don't know where to start. And, um, uh, you know, I think that there's, 
there's work that can be done on our side, right, to make the labor movement more accessible. And I think we're working America is a great vehicle for that. Um, I think that the AFL is taking steps to to be more visible in, in that regard and other unions are. But yeah, I think that there's a big gap between like, you see a lot of polls and unions are more popular than they've ever been. But when it comes down to it, people don't know, like, how do you put a unit together? You know, it, it's a very, intentionally so it's a very right. byzantine structure to navigate right? right like you have to identify your unit and then you have to get a majority and then you have to go to the nlrb and it's it's intentional and they never staff the nlrb they, yeah <laughs> they never staff it and but, you know uh, it's political appointments so yeah anyway I, I it's it's an interesting time for the labor movement it's a great opportunity but also you know there, there is a lot of education and just bridges that need to be built but just also to bridge back to you know, kind of the union point and strange bedfellows. The people who's founded Fight and are backing these organizations are have business and political backgrounds both. There's kind of a venture philanthropic approach to these organizations. If you think about strange bedfellows, we're all MBAs or I'm a management side lawyer at a big firm. That is a strange bedfellow to be working with this group. It's not for us whether or not it's union oriented. It's that they're effective organizing. And from a business and philanthropic approach, we can absolutely see that. And what we really need is a bigger group of people like us who are spreading the word. And that's that's what we hope to do because we need long-term change. It is beneficial generally for business to have an effective class of, of workers. Um, and we all, the group of us, we know that. Mm. Right. Great. Yeah. Um, I'm, I mean, I have these pipe dreams of, you know, like the language of the union movement, like creating a union of essential workers or something, you know, that, that, that there's, there's these new sort of possibilities that come with the tragedy of the pandemic, which is that there's perhaps new lines of solidarity that, that are, that are possible that are, I don't know, but, but I don't know, maybe it'll come. Um, Okay. Okay. All right. So we are uh, running out of time, but um, should we do party favors, Tony? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we, we've got this bit we're going to do at the end. So hold on, hold on. We'll take a break and we'll, and Tony's going to explain it to you. Awesome. We do a bit at the end of each show, usually, where we um, time's running out for both parties right now. Twenty some days left till the election. Um, we we give tips. We throw them out there. Maybe if you listen to us, maybe you can uh, swing the the election in in your favor. Um, we do the Democrats, and we reluctantly do the Republicans, <laughs> um, but we do it. Uh, they don't listen to us anyway, so it's fine. Although I think they might have started because they're starting. To, I mean, I've been giving them the advice to jump ship, and they're all starting to jump ship now. So let's so. start with the GOP, right? <laughs> ben, ben Sass suddenly grew a conscience this week, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, everyone's seen the reality of uh, Trump being underwater, and they're all running as fast as they can now. Right, they're starting to believe polls. Um, yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that I, 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 I think – I think he's toast. I don't know that that means he leaves. Um, I, 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 I foresee a, uh, them calling fraud and this being a big court battle. Um, I, I definitely think that's going to happen, even if he gets blown out. I just I think he's setting that up in every one of these rallies. He's setting up that he's challenging whatever the results are, unless he wins. Um, but I, um, I, I think... It's pretty simple. Um, I think there's going to be, I think when he does lose, there's going to be a leftover, like I said, small amount of people that are kind of Trump loyalists. They, they're going to stick around. They're going to miss their leader. 
And I think for the GOP, you have a you have a choice right now to go back to the and this I can't believe I I'm going to say this, but like the George W. Bush days, the the oh John God. McCain days, which are equally as horrible. They just sound better. Um, and that's when you kind of get to pretend you care or you have to double down and stick by Trump's side and then potentially take the torch from him um, and lead those those maniacs into some sort of a, an election. Because, um, you know, I, I think I've always said if the Democrats do win, they're inheriting a pretty bad situation on on so many fronts and there's a good chance if they don't do some drastic stuff they're going to be out in four years um so that would be my uh my favorite of them it's pretty simple you have to either do what some of them are doing and turn on him right now and call him a maniac or go to the rallies with him Mm. And if they turn on, we what do we get in return? Compassionate conservatism. We get we we get we get David Frum back in our lives. Right. right. Uh, so uh, one thing I would say is that for the GOP, what Trump could do is to call out Mitch McConnell mm. uh, because Trump has now come to Jesus and realizes that people are in pain and he wants to send them checks. Um, and and but because of this and this is where I, I always find it hard now to find the slivers of ideology still in the Republican Party. But but for, for this idea of, of 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 cushioning the blows of the you know the the vagaries of capitalism, they're they're not going to waver on that. And so so McConnell saying no, right? Trump could mm. um, gain some love, some some votes by saying, look, I want a package even bigger than the Democrats. And it's, you know, unfortunately, it's Mitch McConnell, not me, you know. Um, so vote for me and we can take care of Mitch McConnell. Because he throws people under the bus all the time. You know, that, it's not going to be a sort of big deal if he attacks Mitch McConnell. So I think that could be a strategy. Yeah, that was one of our original ones, which is, okay, now you've got three weeks left. And and maybe you you two could could tell me if I'm wrong here. But if a couple if a bunch of Americans got a check for ten thousand dollars the week before the election, you get, you get by are there some people that will go? Trump gave me ten thousand dollars. Like, how could I not? You know, I don't. I wonder. I mean, I think money unfortunately rules the world, and I wonder if they just pushed something through and it was slightly outrageous. I mean, that's what Trump does. He bankrupts companies. So bankrupt America. Who cares? Like that's what you what we expect. Give these Americans in these swing states tons of cash right now, but they just can't do it. Well, I, I would say, Tony, hopefully we've already been building relationships with them so they'll see through the, uh, <laughs> the transparency of that. <laughs> All right. Should we do the, the Republicans? We, I thought we just did the Republicans. I mean, I mean, the, the Democrats. Dems. Yeah. 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 So what I would, you would say? add what on was... the Republicans, yeah. though, the party favor is what you said. They've already told us. Nine justices will decide the election, not the electorate. Yeah. So right. they're confirming Barrett, and they've got the lower courts wrapped up and enough challenges that they're going to wind it around and make it mm. painful. Yep. 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 Yeah, this is... And Bill Barr. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Okay, Democrats. Here, here's what I'll say. Um, I think they're doing a, a fairly good job. Um, I don't have a ton of critiques right now, but... I'm just going to, this is not so much a party favor, but I, and, and I don't expect you two to comment. It's because I'm about to talk shit about another organization. Um, I don't want to see any more Lincoln project stuff coming from uh, people on the left. I don't want to see it. It's been the problem of the Democrats for multiple elections where we have this really short term memory. I mean, these are people who gave us George W. Bush, who gave us John McCain and the other wacko, who started the trend of wacko idiots that were suddenly qualified to be vice president in Sarah Palin. And now because they don't like Trump, they make a couple hit job videos on the guy and we're like, oh, the Lincoln Project, these guys are great. And it's like, just go look at their bios. It's absurd. These are the people responsible for the Patriot Act, for torture, um, for racist policies, for multiple wars that we're still in. And we're just, you know, Democrats are just accepting their help. I mean, is that are we that desperate where we accept help from these people? Um, so let's be careful who you who you make friends with, 
trying to defeat Donald Trump. I don't think you need to bring former Bush people um, in to help beat him. I mean, I, I don't think they're that good at this. Well, the I, other thing, I, I, I'm going to make a small talk shit moment, which is yeah. they're making fel fancy self-aggrandizing ads for their own benefit, and they're sucking up money that could go to organizations yeah. like Working America sure. that actually would change minds. They don't want to change your mind. No. And Working no. America, so they don't want this long-term change that we want, so... There's my pitch for Working America. It is the most like effective money you can spend. Don't waste your money on on the Lincoln Project. No, because they're going. The second Trump's out, they'll be right back to the next Republican. They're not here to be your friend. They don't I, really I care actually about think Biden. it's. I would echo that, and I was yeah. talking about this last week. I think it's even more dangerous than that. That what they are trying to do is to ensure that the the left flank of the Democratic Party is muted mm. and a new sort of centrist consensus is going to be fashioned with them in the chairs. Right. And and then the, 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 the problem, the, the big problem is that there are quite a lot of Democrats who are sympathetic to this. Right. Mm. So I think it's, it's a much larger structural problem because both parties for the past, you know, 30 odd years, certainly let's just call it post 9-11, have been tolerant of rampant inequality and have advocated for endless war, right? So that these two, if we can think about those as foreign and domestic policies, that there is, a, I think, a pretty um, unfortunate and, and perhaps intransigent consensus around. What they're trying to do is saying, look, you know, we're you know us right you know we you, you're you know, like all you guys voted for the iraq war you know so you know like and so the there, there's this possibility for them to not go for another republican perhaps worse get a you know undersecretary of the arm you know that sort of thing right that that's what where, where they want to be um i would say you know be utterly cynical about it like if i don't think you know that the whole organization's a laundry machine for their reputations. That's all it is, mm -hmm. right? It's it's not actually about doing anything for for anything beyond, beyond themselves. Actually, um, if it turns some minds, if it makes some people feel good, that's fine. You know, an ally for now. Come if if Biden wins, cut them loose. <laughs> you know, like like they served their purpose. Now, now about face. If, you know, if if that's still the thing. But yeah, so I would echo that. I would echo Great. that. Um, that these are these are not odd bedfellows. Nope, they're all too familiar. And in the realm of what we can do in the next couple of weeks, Kevin, I, I Kevin can possibly plug for where you can contribute and how you can volunteer. Please. They need volunteers for the phones. They need more funds. There's still things in their playbook that they can do that, by the way, data scientists, and we've talked to them back in 2017, you can see what they've said in the Washington Post, but the data scientists, political scientists from Stanford and Berkeley have said, the, working America's methods work. They're mm -hmm. way more cost effective. And Kevin can tell you in some states, for basically the equivalent of 15 or $20, they're changing a voter's mind. Mm -hmm. So, Kevin? Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, we, if, if you just go to our website, there's uh, workingamerica.org. Um, you can find places we're doing volunteer phone banks from now until the election. So folks are looking to actually talk to voters in swing states, sign up for a shift. We'll tell you how to do it and do it effectively. You'll be doing it alongside with our staff. And there's a place to donate there, which uh, we will, we would love your time, but we also would love your your resources because that's, uh, that's more texts and more organizers we'll have out there. We're we, we've done a lot. We're happy with where we're at with our program so far, but um, you know, there's there's two weeks to go, and lives literally depend on it. So mm -hmm. we're we're gonna work our asses off. And the um, money you donate now will help make change going forward. It's they don't just leave at the end of an election. So it's not money you're throwing out the window or setting on fire with an ad, right. and then leaving for next time. It's useful money going forward. I, I think it gets to what you said. Um, you know. The day after the election, mm. we got to hold all these people accountable to all the promises they're making, right? Um, and and calling out the hypocrisy of of these folks that are just trying to line up their next gig, um, right. you know, after the election. Mm -hmm, so, uh, real people's lives are still in the balance right now. Um, and so, yeah, there's there's not really time for a victory lap or taking credit. We got to get we got to get back to work. So, um, that's my I guess that would be my party favor for the Democrats. Like, let's actually get to work. 
um, like beating Trump is great, but like people are struggling right now and they need, they're looking for solutions. Well and said. we all need to get right. to work. Everybody's got to, everybody's got to pull their way into democracy now. We learned that in 2016. Indeed. Great. Linda, do you want to just really quickly uh, remind our listeners about the fundraiser? Yes. That's coming up. So on the 21st, um, we have a group of people who work with John Newsom, who's the founder of Fight, help set up some of these fundraisers. He actually has a nonprofit consulting firm that does work for like Planned Parenthood, the Obama Foundation. So he's making the difference every day. But um, some of the people who worked with him, started by uh, your friend Deepa, is are putting together a fundraiser. It's on the twenty first. Uh, will you put a link up to it or? Yeah, we can. Yep. Yeah, we'll we'll do that. Great, yep. and you can join. You can hear a little bit more from Kevin. You can hear stories about how Working America goes on the doors from a storyteller at University of Chicago's uh, Art Center, Emily Lanzana, and some wonderful music. We'd love if you came, if you heard about what Fight does, what Working America does, and contributed and volunteered. Great. Yeah, in terms of the music, it's uh, Silver Synthetic from New Orleans and Sun Little. So they're they're providing the music. So it's going well. to be awesome. And every dollar will go to Working America. Fight doesn't take anything for overhead. We are all volunteers. So whatever you give goes directly to changing people's minds in this election and going forward. Great. Awesome. All right. Well, Thank you both so much for coming on, uh, for the work you're doing. Um, I hope you make a ton of money um, on the 21st and going forward, and, and we change some minds here. And we'll see you in a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to seeing you all then. Thank That's you right. so much. It was really great meeting you. Bye-bye. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. So that's amazing. Uh, yeah. I'm glad we had them on. I mean, I'm on their website now. I'm looking at it. Um, first of all, check out their website. It's very impressive. Um, yeah. I'll just give you some crazy numbers. Our strength in numbers, 10.9 million. That's um, how many door to door conversations they've had. Um, 3.5 million. Um, nation. That's how many people they have fighting nationwide for jobs and the economy. And 76% um, since Donald Trump was elected, they've won 76% of the races they've worked in. I mean, that's yeah. a, that is a very effective um, organization. That's so a crazy we, success rate. We yeah. all need to get behind them. Um, yeah. And uh, this Wednesday is the... This Wednesday. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to put out the email. We're going to send out emails to people. We'll yep. also put it up on the Facebook page. Uh, there's going to be great music. Uh, there's going to be... A couple speakers. It's not a lot of time. You can, you know, One crack hour, open a drink and, 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 and just listen. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And um, it's a good way to spend the evening. That's it. So uh, we're going to be blasting all uh, anyone who's on this. You're going to get an email from us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we're going to be there. So let's get some, crack some beers, whatever you drink. Yeah. And, and let's let's try to uh, rally for these last couple weeks to see That's if right. we can, I know. You know, we're on November 4th. You know, be figuring out how to get him out of the White House physically. <laughs> that would be a lot better. Yeah. All right. We'll see you next week. Uh, no politics at the dinner table is produced by our very own Amit Prakash. Um, yeah, that's it. See you Wednesday, actually. <laughs> <laughs>